To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome everyone to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know the song, you know the voice. It's me, it's Rook, and joining me in person, it's the mis- the wonderful Mr. Don Moore. Hey, wonderful. I like that. Yeah. I like that. What's going on, buddy? Good to see you. You too. We've been sitting here with blues guitars talking about the modern world and how we're dealing with it. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Yes, we have. Both of us sitting here singing the blues. Uh they're not bad blues, but they were blues nevertheless. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Don, uh, so Chris hits me up the other day, yeah. probably last weekend, actually, if I think about it, lets me know that he got he got enrolled in Marvel Unlimited. This is their digital... Yeah, you, and you spoke yeah. about that in the early days of I the have, show. I have. Uh, I, you know, I got to tell you, it's fascinating what he's telling me, uh, you know, he's got access to everything Marvel. Yeah. Of all kinds. Uh, he's burning through, like, Spider-Man stuff. He's burning through Venom, uh, Invincible, or... Uh, yeah, is it Invincible Hulk, I think, is what they did a few years back? I, I couldn't tell you, yeah. but yeah. I'll, I don't know, man. You. I don't know, but, you know, he, uh, he of course, hits me up and asks me for recommendations. Come to find out, um, they also have all the old uh, Star Wars Marvel stuff on there, yeah, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Alex is thrilled. They're going through that stuff. Uh but they were asking me for ideas of stuff to read. So, of course, the first thing that comes to my mind is Rise of the Midnight Sun. That's one of your favorites. It yeah. is one of my absolute favorites. Now, of course, I have it in trade form sitting right in front of me. But, man, you know, I picked this up after recommending it to him. I forgot how insane this was. This is a 90s book where, well, it was actually a series Um it was a crossover event. Rise of the Midnight Suns ran through Ghost Rider, Morbius, Darkhold, Night Stalkers, and Spirits of Vengeance. Uh, this was the Rise of Lilith. Uh, it was a long-term villain that was uh, seen throughout the series, uh, Blackout. And Blackout ends up awakening his mother, Lilith, the mother of demons. And it's the the... Midnight Suns gathering to battle Lilith and all of her demon horde. Uh, this was a fantastic series, and I gotta tell you, it was it was the birth of a darker side of Marvel in the '90s that really I I miss a lot of. Uh, you know, it involved Doctor Strange, it involved the Night Stalkers, which uh, you know that was uh, a. Van- a the hunting group that Blade was involved in. Yeah. Uh, the Darkhold, which was uh, most popularly seen recently in the movies, uh, carried around by Wanda. Um, and then, of course, Morbius. Everybody knows Morbius yeah. from, again. And I, and I like Morbius, the living vampire, quite yep. well. Morbius, the living vampire, just portrayed by Jared Leto. Uh, you know, it, granted, some of these movies weren't uh, weren't very good. Let's be honest, people. Mm. Uh, but you know, this is where this is where they all come from. This is this is where uh, they all got together and created this uh, Midnight Suns uh, piece. Uh, 
absolutely fantastic fun to re- sit back and reread and remember, you know, where where all this stuff started from, you know, Johnny Blaze and Danny Kench as uh, the Spirits of Vengeance riding around on their hell cycles, <laughs> uh, you know, just absolutely uh, a fun series. And the character designs on some of Lilith's ilk, uh, you know, the... The priest who's like body falls gets blown apart and then reforms and everything. Um, the portal maker, the skinner, the guy who skins his entire family. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Once Lilith is reawoken, he goes right back to his old ways, and he's just a monstrous, monstrous character. Uh, but this this was a great great series, a great read. Uh, all centering around, you know, Lilith trying to gather her children so that she can take over the Earth again. Uh, culminating, in the end, uh, we actually saw the return of the original demon that inhabited Ghost Rider, uh, Johnny Blaze. Um, that would be uh, Zar- Xanathos. Uh, Xanathos. Xanthos. I don't know how you really want to pronounce it, people, but I've always called him Xanathos. Yeah, when you when you read something, it's hard to know exactly. How yeah, you're yeah. Like, to say how, it. how do you want to pronounce this? Huh? But, um, that stuff you're talking about. One, I feel all your excitement. I didn't read this stuff, um, but I remember when these things were happening. I was really shocked at. I liked Ghost Rider in the early 70s. My cousin and I liked it. Uh, you know, it's a flaming skull guy on a motorcycle, yeah. of course. Well, it's um, not the love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was neat. But um, And I was shocked in the early 90s how massively big. I think that Marvel's three biggest characters was Wolverine, Punisher, and Ghost Rider. Yeah, you know? yeah Ghost you know? Rider was huge at that point. And he wasn't driving them. The little Japanese motorcycle. He was driving a, a big chopper. It was yep. a big hell hell cycle. But yep. um, I remember all the excitement and enthusiasm and and love for this kind of stuff. The the dark, morbid, you know, um, hellscape. I guess you'd say yep. uh, magic and all that sorcery. But I remember that, and I remember seeing it from afar. Even though I didn't read it, I, I kind of miss that too. I miss all the enthusiasm for from younger people than me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, that was thrilling. I see them at grocery stores. That's when they still, even though comics were kind of going away from convenience stores and all that, some grocery stores are starting to pick them up again. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember that. And Morbius, I tell you, if you're a bad guy in Marvel comics, <laughs> word of advice. Try to be a bad guy in Spider-Man, because if you are, you're going to do really well in the rest of your career. Morbius the Living Vampire, Punisher. Um, you're dead. <laughs> you're just dead. <laughs> oh, you know, because you're really going to go far and have your own series, probably get some movies, um, <laughs> because Spider-Man villains do really well. Or you could be like Kingpin and become a massively huge bad guy in Daredevil, being all the all the series and the modify Lex Luthor to be just like you. Yeah. So Spider Man villains, you do really well. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the vil- the villains in the in these particular stories, I mean, there's no way to deal with them except to end them. 
you know, they, they have to be taken out. Mm. Uh, and of course, you know, being demonic characters and mystical characters, they just keep coming back. They find ways to get reborn, you know, <laughs> just like at the end of this particular book, you know, the the rebirth at the end of the book is just like, oh man, how? I thought, I thought they were all dead. <laughs> but nope, they come right on back to mess things up, you know. Uh, absolutely, like I said, this is, this was one of my, one of my favorites. This and the Darkhold Letters, uh, anything to do with the Midnight Suns at that time. Right. Uh, you know, what's, what I find particularly cool about this particular graphic novel is when you, when you bought these books, these books came in bags and each one of them had a fold out uh, piece. Is that where the Ghost Rider pop-out was? That's where the Ghost Rider multi-piece p- poster came from. Oh. Yeah. Each book had a had a separate p- piece of the poster itself. Yeah. And then all together they formed one giant poster. Uh, I had that thing on my wall for years and years. Uh, I've still got all the pieces and one of these days I want to reassemble it into a frame and, yeah. and get it hung up again because it was just absolutely... Absolutely a fantastic piece. I mean, you know, Morbius got his own page, Darkhold, <laughs> Night Stalkers. Everybody got their own piece of the puzzle. And then the interior, the the centerpiece of it was just one big ghost rider uh, swinging the chain on the motorcycle. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was really a great poster. Uh, you know, a little collectible assembly piece right. uh, as you as you bought the book. So, so, does the whole series fit in that one trade? Whole, uh, the whole rise of the Midnight Suns is right here. Okay. In this one trade. Uh, the Midnight Suns storylines continued on for quite a while. Um, this particular series does not see, like, Vengeance, uh, the mm-hmm. other the other rider. Uh, he came in, I believe, uh, a couple months or maybe a year later, he came into uh, the Ghost Rider storylines. Um, Vengeance, uh, awesome, awesome character. Originally uh, corrupted by the bad guys, um, he's part of the the group that carries part of the Midnight Suns medallion. It's a hmm. medallion that's broken up into pieces, and it's inside the bodies of these different different characters. Uh, Johnny has one. Dan has one. Uh, you know, the uh, Vengeance had one. Everybody had a piece of this, and that's what made them being able to transform and harness the Hellfire uh, of Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. So, but that came in later on. Uh, th- this was really, this was the gathering of the team, and then uh, shortly thereafter, they actually explained what and why the Midnight Suns exist and, and why they've always existed. Actually, so this would be something I'd love to see attempted. In Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I mm. don't think they're going to get it right. Um, there's a lot of lot of moving parts and pieces uh, in order to get this into place, and I just I don't think this is something that we're going to see anytime soon. Uh, you know, especially especially let's not uh, let's not jump back into a Ghost Rider movie with uh, with anybody who's going to screw it up. Mm. <laughs> I I've said this before. Rook Rook is. Ghost Riders is his very favorite character, so I understand this. But he always complained about the Nicolas Cage movie. I was watching Crackle one night, and you know, if once oh. you watch what you want on Crackle, if you don't do anything, it starts showing other movies. And yep. the Ghost Rider movie came on. I thought, oh, yeah, Rook hates this movie. And I just didn't bother. I I kind of liked it. I mean, I, 
I didn't want to watch it again. I never bought it, but I mean, I for watching it for what it was, and I mean, I'm I'm not the same fervor that Rook has. Yeah, but I I didn't hate it. Watching no. it for what it was, it was a great attempt. Yeah. Um. It just it lacked parts. Uh, it lacked character development. Uh. You know, the Johnny Blaze character presented to us in the film was kind of a doofus, if you ask me. <laughs> that's Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, well, that's Nicolas Cage. He kind of plays a doofus. But Johnny was, is, he, he's he's just a dedicated, loving person yeah. to his family. And through <clears throat> a series of choices that he's made, he becomes a monster. And is unable to control it. I mean, later in years, he, he he learns some control behind it. But it, the Ghost Rider storyline really, for me, followed around the ideas of, even in the 70s, uh, of family ties, addiction. Um, how far would you go for your family? Um, you know, and it just, it lacked that. Uh, it it lacked that depth for me, um, and you know don't get me wrong the the Ghost Rider design uh, the the CGI yeah it was neat at, at the at that time it was fantastic uh, the second movie uh, the kind of oily greasy look of Ghost Rider fell really great into what Garth Ennis did with uh, mm. Road to Damnation. Uh, and I really hope to kind of see that, but we just really didn't get that in that movie. Um, not to mention the uh, in both movies, the overall transformation, the initial transformations that we saw were just freaking corny. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, dial, dial it back. You know. You know. He it, it, Nicholas Cage is running on eleven. He needed to like dial it back to like a five or six. You know. Yeah. I mean, it just it was it was hard to watch that part of part of it. I, I like Nicholas Cage. Um, Nicholas Cage is one of those actors. Certain things he's brilliant in, but he always seems like somebody that just woke up and and hasn't had coffee. Yeah. And. He didn't read the lines. Yeah. He just had his coffee and he's on set and he's got the script in his hand going, All right, I got this. <laughs> yeah, in movies like Raising Arizona, he's perfect for mm. Weatherman. I love oh, Weatherman. Fantastic. But um and what was that other um um it was one of those big budget blow up summer movies, um where they land on the he gets out of prison, he's in a plane. Con Air. Con Air, yeah. Oh, Con Air, he was ridiculous. That whole movie was ridiculous. The movie was, was ridiculous. Perfectly but, yeah, done. But per- that, it was meant to be ridiculous and yeah. it was great. But he you know, he was a guy that was in prison, you know, was getting out, had a stuffed animal for his daughter, he's trying to get his life back and I could kinda see the distance to him, like why? But other things they put him in, I don't know. Uh Ghost Rider, I I don't really mind. I'm not close to the character, but I thought, really? <laughs> but Nicolas Cage is the ghost. Yeah. Of course, yeah. they had him as Superman, too. And maybe that could have been good. But, you know, he, that was the mullet Superman. Yeah, but, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I saw the Flash <clears throat> movie, and uh, I saw that cameo he had, and just, it it didn't look good for me. He was Superman in the Flash movie? Uh, in, in a... In a 
in a series of uh, vignettes that they did kind of traveling through the multiverse oh, and everything, okay. uh, Nicolas Cage did appear as one of the Supermen yeah. in, a, in the multiverse. <laughs> and it just um, it just doesn't stick for me. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, that, he just doesn't, his facial structure, yeah. you know, just doesn't work as Superman. He's a comic book guy, though. He had oh, the, he's a huge comic book guy. Yeah, he guy. had the first issue of Action Comics and everything. Yep. He, um, so I could see where he'd want to do it, but anyway. Um, going back to what you're talking about, that's really interesting. I guess the whole time you're talking, all I kept thinking, because, Chris, I have recommendations for you that are close to my heart, maybe not to you, but all I keep thinking about was how we read the comics Compared to how he's going to read them. Because yeah. he's got his fingers to everything. Everything. You know, when I tell you certain things that I loved to, and I recommend reading, all I keep thinking about was it's a crapshoot, really. I mean, honestly, because it's not like a series of trades. Like, the first thing I would recommend anybody that's got access to the Marvel Comics Read the first 102 issues of Fantastic Four. See, this is what I want to talk about. Recommendations from Marvel. The great storylines, the great starts. Where would you go? Fantastic Four is is number one. Yeah, the Fantastic Four started the Marvel comics, the Marvel Age of Comics. It was Jack Kirby, it was Stan Lee... And, you know, different inkers, eventually it was Joe Sennett. And Jack Kirby and Joe Sennett were the greatest art team ever. They were in unison. But, and the first, I think the first couple of issues, you could see that they weren't sure. Because they'd been doing um, those giant monster comics. Which, right. again, I, <laughs> I always loved when I was a kid reading those reprints. But it, the early Marvel comics kind of looked like horror titles if you ever looked at the the logos they were kind of jagged they were kind of they yeah. looked like 50s horror horror science fiction titles they weren't wearing uniforms you know i think it was the third issue when they started wearing the, the blue jumpsuits with the forearm but you can see a progression and to me that is the greatest run of comic books it's Jack Kirby left after the 102nd issue. And um, John Romita did the next two, which are fine. John Buscema took over after that. And I've read a lot of those, and they're they're good comics. And then after that, Rich Buckler took over. But that hunt, Jack Kirby basically wrote and penciled 102 issues with no repeats. It was 102 straight issues. And that's where everything was introduced. You know, Doctor Doom shows up you know, several times. Submariner comes back. Yep, Mole Man. Uh, yeah, Mole, Mole Man was Mole in the Man's first right one. Right there in the first one. And um, it's but it keeps going. And it was right before Fifty they introduced the Inhumans, and then Galactus and the Silver Surfer show up, and you know, yep. the Fifty, and then after that it's the Black Panther. How? Can you have a run like that and yep. say 10 issues and you got all this stuff happening all at once? Mike. Anyway, I've always seen these issues growing up in piecemeal. I had a few. Friends of mine had a few. And I would get uh, Origins of Marvel Comics would have, you know, yeah, reprints. Yeah, some fill-ins and you know, everything. Yep. Some of those, um, some of those um, limited collector's editions, the big junk, Marvel Treasury editions. Yeah. I had some of those, the Fantastic Four, and that's where I read those, but... All the way up until 
we started doing this show, I was telling Dallas that was always to me a dream was to be able to read those comic books in succession, you know, mm-hmm. 102. Yeah. And then Dallas said, uh, he lent me a Marvel Essentials. I think it was, you know, those phone books are black yeah. and white. I really enjoyed that. And then after I read them, I kept breaking out the sketchbook and trying to draw. I, I wasn't drawing, the, I was drawing the pages, but making them my own and putting my own characters in them. But it was so much fun. And I thought, you know, this is nice, but I really wanted to read the comics the way they were in color. Yeah. And the Marvel Masterworks were, when those came out in 88, they were 50 bucks a piece and sometimes 55. Yeah, like, for 88, that's, that's, like yeah, that's super expensive. Oh, that was massive money. Yeah. And I mean, and they were nice. But I wouldn't pay that much for those books now. You can get much bigger books and nicer. And then yeah. Dallas said, why don't you get the Omnibus? The Omnibus, the, the Masterworks were 10 issues each. And mm-hmm. sometimes the more expensive ones had the annuals in them. Yeah. And um, But the Omnibus had the first 30 issues, including the letters pages. So I bought the first Marvel Omnibus, a Fantastic Four Omnibus. And um, I got it through Amazon. You know, I got a little cheaper. It was still expensive. But I read the first 30 issues, and to me, it was staggering. And then after that, we started going to Megacon, and I don't know, I guess Marvel was dropping them, um, trying to get rid of them, so you were finding them for 10 bucks a piece. Yeah. So I got all the Masterworks uh, from issue 31 all the way up. I'm sorry, 41, all the way up. So I read the whole 102 issues. Um, it's staggering. I was never disappointed. I highly recommend that. The next one I would recommend was Walt Simons's run on Thor. As a matter of fact, when you got uh, a job you yes. know, at Yancey yep. and Rook was asking for recommendations, yep. everybody's talking and I'm screaming, Walt Simons is Thor. I think Walt Simons' Thor, and it'll be corrected on the blog if I'm wrong, it started on 337, and um, it hit the ground running. Um, He wrote and drew it, John Workman lettered it, which was massive, but that was, again, my favorite run. He, it went, ran that way for, I think, three years, three or almost three and a half, four years. And then after that, Walt Simons continued to draw it, but Sal Basima drew it. Walt Simonson wrote it, Sal, Walt, uh, Sal Basima drew it. I didn't read those. I pick a couple up here and there, but not quite the same. But that run of Thor, the initial run with him, is just right there. And a lot of Jack Kirby's early, and Stan Lee's early Thor's are nice too. Yeah, so um, I'm seeing Simonson starting Thor in 66. Okay, while Simonson drew, he penciled Thor in um, the 70s. And I think, I don't know who inked him, but it didn't really look like Walt Simonson. Somebody else wrote those stories. He did that for a little while. But then in 83... He came back and he did everything. He wrote, he wrote it, penciled it, inked it. He did the whole thing except um, John Workman lettered it. Yeah, and that's the run I'm talking about. But 
here's the thing if you if you read the Jack Kirby Stan Lee issues of um the Mighty Thor they start out as Journey into Mystery and then later on it switches yeah, to Thor that's right so, it did start out Journey into Mystery and then uh yep Thor. so I don't know how the Marvel app works if it tells you this. <laughs> uh, so apparently, uh, pretty fascinating. You can actually like search out a whole character, yeah. or a creator, or um. like um, a, a universe. Let's say, like the X Men universe or the Avengers yeah. universe. You know, inside you know a verse inside the verse and everything. Um, so yeah, it, it actually has like really good categories and uh, suggested reading uh, list, like the order in which that you can read, so that you right. don't, so you know you don't do a, you don't do a civil war where you know yes. you open up the book that starts with Peter Parker revealing himself before you read the book that ended yeah. with Peter Parker revealing himself. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I mean. And another one I would recommend, and when I'm saying this. That's all I kept thinking about was Jim Starlin's run on Adam Warlock. Oh, yeah. And, uh, that's, that's... Yeah, that's... I lent those to Dallas in reprints back when we started doing the show. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure because when I was 13 years old up to, what was it, 15, I thought that was the greatest comic ever made. Well, you know, sometimes when you're that age and then you... you you're older and you read them again, you're thinking, well, I mean, you remember finally, but maybe it's not yeah, the greatest. Yeah, it doesn't hold up. Yeah. So when I, lent, I was telling Dallas about it, he wanted to read them, I, on, on this show, on an old episode, I handed him the comics. That's when we recommended comics to each other. Mm-hmm. Dallas loved it. I was glad they did stand up. We talked about it for a while. But Adam Warlock didn't have his own series. It was Strange Tales. Mm-hmm. And, um... I think I think he did at first had a series called Power of Warlock, and it was Roy Thomas and um, Gil Kane. If you read the original Fantastic Fours, Adam Warlock is in it called him. But yep. he's actually not in it. He's a cocoon that they're afraid of. But then he shows up in Jack Kirby's Thor as him. Causes a lot of trouble. Thor fights him. Well, after Jack Kirby leaves Marvel... Uh, I guess a year, a year, two years later, Roy Thomas and Gil Kane do a comic called The Power of Warlock. And that's where he becomes Adam Warlock instead of him. And then he gets canceled. Then he's in a couple of, he's in a few issues of Incredible Hulk. I think it was written by Lynn Wein and drawn by Herb Trimpey. Not my favorite comics, but I did buy a few. And he's on Counter-Earth. And he, um, which the High Evolutionary created. And that was one, I think I was, I think I was 13 when I read those. 12 or 13. It broke my heart because Counter-Earth got Adam Warlock and basically put him on this giant Egyptian onk like he's being crucified. Mm-hmm. And they did something. Next thing you know, it was the cocoon. Yeah. I'm like, what? Adam Warlock's dead? I was freaking out. And that was it. And then one day in eighth grade, the kid that sat next to me had a Strange Tales. I don't remember what the number was. He had a beat-up copy, which I still have. He gave it to me. But Jim Starlin drew it and wrote it, and it was incredible. It was just the most incredible thing. It starts out with 
this woman being chased on some dead planet like the moon or something and three different aliens are chasing her trying to kill her she trips and falls they're right on her and all of a sudden she looks up and it's Adam Warlock there just saying you know basically asking what these guys are chasing her down they kill her right in front of him mm. and then um, he stops them then he basically reanimates her body and she says this is really trippy when you're 13 but she says why did you bring me back to this cold existence you know one you're in space it's already yeah. cold and uninhabited but she basically tells him that she's running from the magus who's the magus and basically it's this giant cosmic church yeah. <laughs> with a powerful military yeah and um so adam warlock sets out and you're like wait a minute what well i read these issues piecemeal you know once in a while i had some money and if i found one and i had the money some of them i just saw in a store kind of glanced at them and then all of a sudden strange tales is gone and it says now in his own pulse pounding magazine well it's confusing because all of them had the giant warlock logo on them. yeah yep. but all i'm thinking if i told chris that You'd have to read Strange Tales, and then you'd have to read Warlock. Yep. And then they canceled it. It never finished. And here's what's really strange. I was in Texas <laughs> at my cousin's. I rode my bike over this convenience store, and they had an Avengers annual. And the cover basically had a lot of small figures, and again, some cold, deserted, asteroid-looking thing. It was all kind of purplish. And it just caught me, so I bought it. Jim Starlin wrote and drew it. And it was a continuation of the Warlock saga with Captain Marvel and the Avengers. Yeah. I'm like, and I remember on that, Thor screamed him and went to attack him. I didn't know that, I never read those old Thor issues until that I found out. And then it ended, it ended sad, and I thought that was the end. Then I found out Marvel 2-in-1, the Thing team-up book, had the second part with Captain Marvel, the Thing, and um, the Avengers, which I never found when I, at that time. <laughs> it's so frustrating, and, um, one, isn't it? I didn't find that until uh, they did the reprints that I lent to Dallas. Nevertheless... To me, that's staggering, and a lot of stuff that they're doing in these Marvel movies, the ones I've seen, they're taking from those stories. Yep. And um, but those are those are three recommendations from Marvel that I hold close to my heart. Um, one thing about reading Marvel comics is we always talk about we all went th through was. They were always piecemeal. You had certain issues. Yep. You had certain pieces. But it's not really like this, you know, like the the Midnight Suns, where it'd be um, a cohesive piece. Yeah. You know, one one of my favorites was the team of John Byrne and Chris Claremont. They were a great team. Yeah. Everybody knows them from the X-Men. But, man, they did so many. They did Iron Fist. I guess that's the first John Byrne work in Marvel. Yep. And <clears throat> at one point, Misty Knight moves in with Jean Grey from the X-Men. Oh, you didn't know that? Really? No. No. Okay. I don't remember this. It's, um... 
they become roommates. And then <clears throat> the Dave Cockrum X-Men issues, when um, after Jean Grey becomes Phoenix, but they don't really know what happened, one of the issues, it shows that flat. Jean Grey's parents are there. Huh. And they're asking, Jean, how did you find such a wonderful apartment? And then Jean says, Misty? And then Misty explained that they were both looking at the apartment. They both liked it, but neither one of them could afford it. Mm. And then they started talking. They got along. Say, hey, what the hey? So they shared it and became flatmates. Yeah. Well, the last issue of Iron Fist, the new X-Men are in it. And uh, Wolverine attacks Iron Fist, you know, because he doesn't know who he is. And yep. They're having a party there. And anyway, it was the whole mayhem thing. And then... um. In the letters pages, this is the last issue of Iron Fist. It says, but the hero's not dead. It says, um, he's flatmates with, um, or Misty's flatmates with her, with Jean Grey, so you'll still see him. None of that happened. There's only one time in an X-Men issue that John Byrne and Chris Claremont and Terry Austin did that Misty Knight and Iron, uh, Power Man show up. I don't think Iron Fist ever showed up. I don't think, uh, you know. I mean, it's Iron Fist. He's a subpar character anyway. Whoa! The old oh. ones, I loved Iron Fist. I know it was dorky. You know, the last thing I'd want to do is doing martial arts, wearing a skin-tight outfit with a, with a mask with a long string behind it and a giant high collar to block my vision and ballet slippers. No, I'm not going to. But Luke Cage made Iron Fist better. Well, I, I liked it. I never liked Luke Cage much. Really? But, oh, man. Anyway, and this I is, thought Luke Cage was a badass, and d- Iron, F- Iron Fist was just kind of like, okay, so you know karate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. wasn't until later years when they started developing the power of Iron Fist. Yeah. That's when he became interesting. Okay, now, again, we talk about the age and you know when you read these books. When Iron Fist came out, that's when the Bruce Lee movies, which I wasn't allowed to see because they were rated R, they were starting to come out. David Carradine was doing the Kung Fu TV series, which mm-hmm. my family, religious family, we moved in a house that had a Buddha statue in the front. You know, I was happy Buddhist. My brother and I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. My parents got rid of it because it's idolatry. So anything with Eastern religion... Have nothing to do with. Nevertheless, they absolutely loved the David Carradine. We planned our whole week around getting to see that show. Oh man! You uh, which again, I, I'm thankful for it. But all that stuff was happening. You started getting Master of Kung Fu, which was a comic that I like. Iron, uh, like Ghost Rider, I read at the time and like. But you know, but when Iron Fist came out, it was neat. And, um, which is really strange because he was supposed to be a Chinese martial arts guy, but he was doing karate kind of, sort of, you know, um, well, you know, Marvel Comics karate. But anyway, John Byrne and Terry, uh, and Chris Claremont was doing that book. And, um, they were pretty neat. And then, randomly, those two were also doing Marvel Team Up. And... I had one where they did Adam Warlock and Spider-Man. There was another one I never knew about that it was the new X-Men and Spider-Man. But I picked one up. It was um, Ms. Marvel and Spider-Man. And they were fighting um, the Super Scroll from the Fantastic Four. Oh, this is great. And then all of a sudden it was this run. It was Spider-Man with Man-Thing, Spider-Man with Tigra, 
But those stories, even though they're single issues, they were tying in. That's when Captain Britain was in, introduced to the United States. Yeah. It was in Marvel Team-Up. Those yeah. are two of my very favorite issues. And it was um, Captain Britain and Spider-Man for two issues, and that's when they introduced Arcade, which yep. ended up showing in the X-Men. They had um, the Living Laser that became the the monolith or whatever. Um, great comics. But there was two issues where it was Iron Fist and then the next one was The Daughter of the Dragon, which is Colleen Wing and Misty Knight. And again, Iron Fist is in it. Then they did um, an issue, two, I guess two issues of Power Man, where it tied in with all these characters again, except for Spider-Man. And that's when Iron Fist and Luke Cage, or Power Man, became a team. Mm-hmm. And then John Byrne and Chris Claremont did Power Man and Iron Fist, the first issue, set yeah. up the book. And um, those Marvel team-ups, to me, are just greatness. And if you read certain books, like the new X-Men, after Dave Cockrum left, all that stuff ties in, too, beautifully. Yeah. So... Again, there's a lot of piecemeal issues. I don't know how the Marvel Act works, app works, but highly recommend those. Also, the first, the second Star Lord story that was in World's Marvel magazines was by Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Terry Austin yeah. before they did the New X Men. That's absolutely that's something. I wish Marvel would put that out as a comic book, and uh, it was a black and white magazine. I I love it. It's one of my favorites. And in 1981, I think, they put it as a comic book. Terry Austin did the cover, which was fine. It was nice. But they got Michael Golden to do an opening piece and a closing piece. Chris Claremont wrote that. Mm. But to me, it kind of destroyed the original story. Because... The ending, they added another ending where his father comes with him. I'm like, what, what, are you, what did you do? <laughs> I just want the comic as it was in that magazine. And John Byrne did draw a cover, which is the opening piece. But somebody online took that and recall, they made the, that opening piece as the cover and colored it. I would absolutely, whoever colored that, I'll, I'll have it linked if I can find it on the blog. Whoever did that, I wish that Marvel would hire them to color that and put it out as a comic book, just exactly as it was in the mag, except for the that painted Bob Larkin cover. <laughs> but um, yeah, I wish they did that with that Mobius Silver Surfer story, Parallel uh, Parable. That was two issues on newsprint. What happened was Mobius saw his work from the the Mobius collection on Marvel Age on cheap newsprint, and he liked it. He never saw it. So he and Stan Lee did uh, two issues called Parable, and they were greatness. But man, they did the crappiest newsprint printing they could possibly do on it. And then they put out a really nice little hardback that was more money than I could afford at the time. And I thought, why can't they just put it out as one issue? And I don't know, Wine and Pays, the comic store had it. It was both with a uh, Mobius cover of the Silver Surf that they used on Marvel Age, I was happy. So I want that for Star-Lord. I want that for Star-Lord, which I guess is probably 14 years after Parable came out. Anyway, I'm one in again, Marvel, so do something. 
That's great, though. I, I, I love all the suggestions. Uh, uh, you know, he, he's, he's got so many books to read right now. Mm. Uh, I mean, having access to the entire library, the entire existence um, is amazing. Yeah, yeah it is. And if you're, if you're good on reading books digital, uh, you know, something to look into. Um, he also was talking about uh, apparently DC has an app like this as well where you can go in and you can, you can just read anything and everything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'd love to hear from people, uh, you know, comment on the, on the Facebook in regards to what are some of the great Marvel storylines that you think he should get into and check out. Uh, you know, like I said, let us know on the Facebook page. Well, also, yeah, and the stuff, Chris, I know you like, there's a lot of books you like. That's why I learned who Carnage was, because of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you're interested in that you'd probably like a lot better than what a 60-year-old man's recommending <laughs> to you. <laughs> so, but that's the thing, is he's hmm. looking for the history. He's, yeah. He's looking for... You know some of the where, the how, the why right. on a lot of this stuff. Well, that's you know, you know the so. the new X Men. Yeah, I never really read the X Men ever, and um, reading the new X Men kind of made you interested to go back and read some of those early issues. Yeah, and so yeah, and that's another one. The Chris Claremont, the Lynn Ween, Dave Cockrum, Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Terry Austin X Men, yeah. all those issues, and a lot of that stuff bled into all the other Marvel stuff. And it basically anything that started at Marvel with Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and Stan Lee and like the Cap Jack Kirby's Captain America stories the Marvel ones really stand out as something special. All yeah. all of the stuff. I just mentioned Thor, I mentioned, you know, Fantastic Four, my favorites. But those Captain America stories he did are just absolutely amazing. Yeah. But um, but like I said, Jack Kirby would do some, and then somebody else would come in and draw them, and then he would come back every once in a while. The Avengers, Jack Kirby started out, and then Don Heck, I guess, took over. But every once in a while, Jack Kirby would come back and do some random issues. So when you're reading those, sometimes when I was a kid, I go, oh, man, this is incredible. And you get another one, it's, it's not Jack Kirby. And it's so-so. Yeah. But then he pops up. I don't know what that's like reading an app, but, you know, anything Jack Kirby did at Marvel is really something oh, special. Yeah. I mean, Kirby, 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 I think, had a bigger influence on the, on the creation of Marvel at its time, at its time than anybody. Well, know? yeah. And well, he was the master. Yeah, absolutely. But the Steve Ditko work, you know, on he did a lot. I, Steve Ditko, people don't, I guess, always remember. He did Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he did Iron Man. He's the one that designed the the yellow and red Iron Man design that everybody follows. You yeah. Know, Jack Kirby did the 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 silver gray and later the gold mm-hmm. bullet kind of thing. But um, but Steve Ditko, his main works were Spider Man, which were something and then oh. Doctor Strange which are some of my absolute favorite comics and um, and those are clever but um, and Steve Ditko did a lot of stuff and I you know while we're talking about that I um nope Don's reaching for the stack he's got next to him well you know if I I pull that comic out where is it yeah 
<laughs> the monster books that Marvel did in the oh, 50s. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Now, this isn't one of them. This is, it's, uh, what was it, Monsters on the Prowl? Yeah. When In the 70s, they had Where Monsters Dwell, Monsters on the Prowl. I can't, there was a few reprint monster titles. Um, Marvel in the 50s, they were, yeah, I guess they were, like, if they were attorneys, they'd be ambulance chasers. They were chasing trends that other companies were doing. And that's when all the science fiction movies were coming out, the giant, you know, It and Colossal Ants and, you know, the Godzilla films. So they started putting out on giant monster books. And they also put out these Twilight Zone style books that, you know, were not monsters, but they were strange stories. And um, Dan Adkins, Steve Ditko, The King, Jack Kirby, they all did these stories. That's where uh, Groot came out of. There was a character called the Hulk, which wasn't the green-skinned guy. You know, um, there was my favorite, Tim Booba. <laughs> <laughs> there was Fin, fin, fin Fang Foom. There's all these characters that started coming out, a bit giant monsters. Those were a blast. And in the 70s, when I was 12, I was buying every one of them. And even though they were older stories, they were just thrilling. Anyway, uh, Marvel put this out, Monsters on the Prowl, but it's about the Thing, the Hulk, the Beast from the X-Men, when he's not blue and furry. Yeah, I was going to say the classic Beast. Yeah, and uh, Giant Man. And it was a fun, a fun story. I kept seeing it on Facebook, so I, dug, I found it and dug it up. And, um... Absolute blast. But those old monster stories that they weren't Marvel stories, they were Atlas, but they um are timely one yeah. or two. But I, I mean this is it's so great to see the classic designs of these characters, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. done done in this way. Uh, you know. I, I absolutely these these were the stories of the time. I mean, when they were doing like giant monsters and stuff like that, you know. Uh Absolutely, you know. I mean, this one two-page spread, you can recognize, like, you know, all these classic monsters just sitting right there, you know. Yeah, the Mole Man had all these monsters, and there's um, a character which I, when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, maybe I've seen this before, but I think, I don't know if he's an actual Marvel old character, a bad guy, or if he's new, but he's called a collector. And uh, he seemed like he was in, well, but I've never heard of him. Well, the collect- I mean, yeah, the collector is, uh, you know, the collector. He's oh, he is. He is the regular character. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. he even appeared uh, in in the movies. Um, but he's he's a fantastic character that you know he literally like collects specimens of things uh, from different planets and different universes and stuff. Um, but like I love I love this old classic Hulk with the like the flat top skull yeah, looking yeah. like kind of like a like a like a version of Frankenstein esque you know I always got a kick out of that Hulk you know he's kind of a dummy well, he is a dummy uh-huh. <laughs> you know he keeps calling thing Rockman <laughs> well that's yeah I think and that I think that was a Steve Ditko style I mean Jack yeah. Kirby did some but I remember Steve Ditko had a bizarre Hulk the flat headed one. I love that one too. Yeah, the book was a blast. But basically, the collector took all the Marvel monsters, and then mm-hmm. they escape, and they're all over Manhattan. Everything happened in Manhattan. Yep. You know. Oh yeah, everything always happened in Manhattan in these in these days. You know, <laughs> it was 
it, it, that was just a thing. That was just where everything was. You know, and I hate to say this because I hate to give New York props, but my whole life growing up out in the great Southwest, Oklahoma City has a fantastic zoo. And next to the zoo was Lincoln Park, which is a massive park. Everybody used it. It was always in use. People were having picnics. People, you know, which is what the parks are for. But I was watching on the, on Dialing for Dollars, the afternoon movie in Oklahoma City. They showed an Abbott and Costello movie where they get in a spaceship and they thought they went to Mars. Mm-hmm. But they ended up going to New Orleans during Mardi Gras when everybody's wearing the big paper mache heads. Yep. And, um... But anyway, when this rocket ship with Abbott Costello on it, or flying around, it keeps going through the Lincoln Tunnel. <laughs> and then it keeps showing the news, you know, saying, uh, well, uh, a rocket was found driving through the Lincoln Tunnel. What? And I kept thinking maybe it was a Lincoln Park. So I asked Dad, I said, uh, where's the Lincoln Tunnel? And it was New York. You know, I was a kid. I think yeah. I was seven. And I'm like, it's not by the zoo? You know, because I was wondering why we never went to it. I wanted to see it. You know, it's in New York. And I'm thinking, my whole life, you know, Statue of Liberty. I see it on TV. Where's the Statue of Liberty? New York. And basically, everything was in New York. Yeah. And I, I was looking at the comics, you know, where New York. You know, they were created in New York. Because um, back then, everything worth doing was in New York. Well, and I hate well. to say it. I hate to give New Yorkers bigger heads, but... <laughs> But New York is the capital of the world. That's a power center. I mean, I went to it. It's shocking. And um, I started to understand why everybody I ever met, and there was a guy from New York I met in college, a lot of New Yorkers in the Navy. And they always have this bored look, like, yes, I've seen it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've always read about, you know, yeah, I've seen it. It's there, but it's not like they're starry-eyed or proud or just like it's just there okay like kind of bored (laughs) yeah you you, you grow up around all that (laughs) stimulation all that activity all that crazy i guess everything else you know eh, yeah it's a thing yeah it's all right but at the same time when you start asking about new york they just start bragging about it telling you how incredible which i mean seeing it yeah it is but you know they kind of get bored of you when you're excited when you see some soda fountain somewhere or something, you know. <laughs> and, um, I I don't know. It's just New York. New York. New York. But, um, anyway, uh, we can come back to this. Well, let's take a music break. All right.
You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click Click on the Cyclops. Your Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Okay, that was Old Rage. That's a new band that you've never heard before. Um, Actually, it's the first I've heard them, but one of the guitar players is a good friend of mine. Um, Actually, Dallas has played with him, Mike Salyers. I worked with him a long time. He's kind of a multifaceted human being. I got to know him because of martial arts. You know, he, he practiced, found out I practiced. Found out he was really good at BMX bikes. and um, Nice. Stays involved with that. Uh, and I knew, I found out he was a drummer. As a matter of fact, Steve Robinson, who we played on, he played drums for him. And I've seen him play acoustic guitar and sing. Uh, that's when Dallas played with him at work. But I was really shocked when he had this band and I listened to it. So this is something. It's um full of vibrancy and energy and i've never heard him play electric but i heard it said do you mind if i play him yeah sure so (laughs) he's actually the most relaxed human being i've ever said in my life anyway old rage they play around the tampa bay area and um i'll have a link on the blog Uh, you can actually listen to the album from the link and um contact them through facebook anyway nice Don, I see you got a stack of books over there, and <laughs> like I'm looking at this top one. Okay, what what is this? I'm glad you mentioned this. This is um, what what's unnatural order? Unnatural order, huh? Now this one, I go to Nerd Out Comics in St. Pete. Nerd Out Comics has a Tampa Bay store, and one thing I've learned, um, the the man runs the Tampa store, um, the wife runs the St. Pete store, and we're talking about St. Petersburg's never really had strong comic stores. They're all in Tampa. But um, there's a three-mile bridge and a bay separating Tampa from St. Pete. But she said that she kind of understands why there's never really been a store in St. Pete because the Tampa store, I guess, just got voted uh, number one in the Tampa Bay area, nice. which they're proud Good of. Them. But... um. Dan DeDio from DC Comics is one of their customers. No kidding. Yeah. That's cool. But she said, um, that store is really busy. I've gone there. It is busy. And they're really vibrant. And um, the St. Pete store is kind of cobwebs. You know, it's, it's a nice store. I, I go there. But it's like tumbleweeds blow through. It's just kind of kind of quiet. I don't know. Um, I had, Sometimes I get nervous. I'm going to start driving to Tampa for my comics again. But... <laughs> Anyway, I came in one day, and I, she had my books ready for me. And she goes, oh, we, we have one for you for free, and it's this one. And it's from Vault Comics. And I talked to you about Vault because I found in a dollar box at that store this issue, these three issues, the wasted space. Right, right. And I've been trying to find more. They did a, It's a 25-issue series, and I guess the writer of the series I read online he was thankful that Vault Comics let him finish the 25 issues instead of dropping them. So I'm, I don't know why. I don't know if it wasn't selling. I don't know. But it's a nice series. It's the same creative team all the way through the series. They finished it. And I want those issues. I got, what, 3, 4, and 5, I think it is. Yeah, it looks like 3, 4, 5 yeah. there, yeah. I really enjoyed these. I can't find them. 
I've looked them up online. Um, a lot of online sellers are sold out of them, and they put out some trades. You know the the series. Having to find these, I would rather find the trades. Um, the trades are sold out. Maybe you might find one or two. I'm like, well, God, you know, this is. And I went to Yancey Street South, which is a store we both love, and I asked, and the guy said, uh, "Not the owner, but one of the employees said, uh, yeah, we don't we don't carry uh, comics from that that uh, publisher Vault.' Anyway, when I got this um, unnatural order, it's fantastic." And I, I told her, I said, you know, a lot of people don't carry Vault Comics. And she shook her head like she understood. I've never heard of them. But I think I'm going to contact them and ask them to start putting that in my pull list. Because I, it's neat. The artwork is good. The story's good. I figured you'd probably like it because it looks like your kind of thing. Yeah, it does. Uh, the Unnatural Order definitely looks like my kind of thing. So what I'm seeing here with Vault Comics, uh, founded in 2016... Um, by Adrian Wassel and Damian Wassel and Nathan Godin, or Gooden. Uh, they're out of Missoula, Montana. Hmm. Um, got quite a few creators, notable titles and things like that. Um, uh, titles published by Vault, interestingly enough, also include Vampire the Masquerade book comic based on the tabletop gaming game, which I am a fan of. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, they've got some great um, great nominations here. Eisner Award for Best Cover Artist uh, for the title Submerged. Um, uh, yeah, Vault is uh, Vault is an interesting uh, company. Uh, looks like it's a you know it's a young company. Uh, you know, with you know mostly horror, science, science fiction, and fantasy books. So, but yeah, it's uh, yeah very cool. Oh. Uh, and of course, uh, the two names I mentioned, they're brothers, and then Nathan uh, Gooden would be their cousin. <laughs> oh, it makes sense. These books, when I'm saying this, they're they're nicely produced. They're nice printing, uh, nice design, and the artwork on both of these series and the stories are strong. I mean, this isn't like, you know, sometimes you get new publishers and it's kind of, some of it slipshod. You know, it might be good artwork, but it's not designed well or put together well. Yeah. These, um, they're, they have a, uh, I hate to use the word, a really slick professional look. Yeah. Uh, they have some great creators w- uh, working with them. Um, Tim Seeley that did oh, yeah. Hack Slash. Yeah. Yeah. Donnie Cates that did uh, the Cosmic Ghost Rider work, you know, those, oh, yeah. two, those two stand out right here in front of me uh, at, at the top, you know, it's, ah, they did the uh, Vagrant Queen uh, comic book based off of uh, uh, Vagrant Queen that aired on Sci-Fi. Nice. Yeah. Well, this untapped order, I, I'll be honest with you. In the 80s, Dungeons and Dragons got huge. Mm-hmm. And I, I had friends that did it. I used to paint the characters. I'd kind of see some of the games. But I got tired of a bunch of bunch of different characters making long treks somewhere. And that's what you're always seeing all the time. So, honestly, I hate that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been saying that I love the Lord of the Rings, and that's where I guess it all came from, but... When you just see it so many times and it wasn't interesting, and I thought this is another one. I thought I like the look, but I, but it was neat. Um, you have 
basically what they're talking about the Gaulish Wars when war when Rome, you know, went to Gaul. Yep. And uh, which is, if you ever read French comics, Asterix, that's what it's based off of. And Asterix is some of the greatest comic books ever created. Some of my favorites, and that's a comedy on all that stuff. But this one, it's all these fighters, and um, you know, from I don't know Norway, you know, um, yeah, Britain, Scandinavian region yeah, along Britain. with uh, Romans. Uh, and then there's that big twist at the end of the book here. <laughs> yeah, we won't give that away, but they're one character they call the witch, and she's the one on the cover, and she's my favorite. I, my favorite of a bunch of characters I like. But they're talking about how each character, what they're doing, and basically, it's like a, I hate to say Suicide Squad, but they know that they're not going to make it. And yeah. um, But the story really kept me in, and... The dynamics between the people, it's its interesting. It's like, if those people existed, this is how they're going to act. And how they kind of, everybody pairs up with each other is not really what you would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and some of these people maybe don't get along, but then they start getting along in other ways. It's just group dynamics. And, um, and the witch, like I said, she's telling her story. Yeah. While she's watching everything, and it's it's something, and it, it giving me the first issue did its job because this normally isn't a book I would look at, but I I want more. Yeah, it's beautifully drawn. Character design is great. Uh, you know, you can see the the difference between the uh, the the landscapes, uh, the way that the coloration and the lighting is uh, as they travel. Oh, uh, three headed dragon flying around in the sky up here. Yeah, and that's the other thing, besides the people, I mean, everything, the the settings, the locations, and the monsters are second to none. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, this looks like a very cool book. Yeah. Yeah, it very is nice. Awesome. Yeah, Vault Comics, uh, yeah, definitely something to check out and uh, see if your local re- retailers have them. Yeah, now I, like I said, when I was a Yancey looking for the Waste of Space books, they said they don't order from it. I mean, I'm sure if you asked your your retailer, you know, your comic store, they might. Um, like I said, I'm getting ready to ask because, and this was this wasn't a cheap book either. So, and I'm willing to pay the price. It's a five dollar book. Yeah. yeah. Which I mean, which you know. is kind of kind of standard these days at the shops. Oh, this is uh, interestingly enough, Wasted Space apparently has uh, variant covers. <laughs> I, I'm going to go back to that. I hate variant covers. I mean, I understand you know, people we, collect them, but... We say that, but you got to admit, Blitmap had an awesome concept. Okay, that's... Uh, that, Blitmap. that Blitmap alternate variant, or the variant covers of Blitmap, which yeah. they just released designs um, for issue two on Instagram uh, a couple days ago. It, as Looks I said cool. on the show... Yeah, as I said on the show, Blitmap doesn't follow the same law of reality that everybody else does because the way he described that and i I said on the show what you just described as comics by cat you know by committee Mm -hmm. which is the death kneel but yet it's not it was a nice thing um when i'm talking about variant covers and the blip (laughs) covers were really unique but what was that um it was one of those young animal books that dc did uh cave carson the first issue of Cave Carson, I couldn't find anywhere. Dallas got it for me, Yancey. And um, 
It had a really neat cover, Michael Oming did. Well, when Dallas got me the comic, it was one of the variant covers. And I, and I think Dallas forgetting it. But I'm like, well, I wanted the variant. I wanted the regular cover. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... But, you yeah. know, Yusagi Jumbo. I get those. Stan Sakai does the covers. Mm-hmm. But he always has two variant covers. Yeah. Which I have zero interest. But I subscribe to the book. I came in one day, and she's so excited that the owner gave me... um. I think a Scotty Young cover. Who I, I do like Scotty oh, Young. Scotty Young covers are, are a trip. But she was acting like it was really thrilling. Oh, he got you the cut. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Well, I I said thanks. Yeah, and oh by the way, the cover price is, is uh three ninety nine, but you got the Scotty Young cover, so that's fifteen dollars. No, no, they didn't do that. <laughs> Good, do I'm that. glad. That that's an annoyance above and beyond for me. But um I don't want the variant covers, I want the Stan Sakai covers. Mm-hmm. And um that's the thing when you subscribe. Sometimes you get the variant covers instead of the actual regular cover that the artist did. Yeah. Which, you know, old fogey, I guess, fuddy-duddy. I want that cover. I don't want some... But I guess that's a big collector thing like you just mentioned. Because um, IDW on there is like the Rocketeer comics they do. In the back, they always show different kind of covers, but basically they're dealer's incentives, and you have to order so many to get that cover. And I'm like, okay, well, you can keep it. Um, Saying that, that's me, and that's not probably the comics world that supports all the stores. Oh, well, there's there's plenty of people out here in in the community that are like, nope, I want, I want... You know, I want my covers to match. I want like yeah. uniformity, and then there's tons and tons of other people on that truthfully are like the variant, 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 variant. <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> well, you see it with pop collectors as well. Mm. I mean, you know, uh, we sit here uh, surrounded by various pop figures in this room, and you can see like some of these, some of these are are variants. Uh, you know, with minor minor changes, either the paint scheme or or something. You know, uh, some of them, some of them just that just happened to be the one that we were able to grab at the time yeah. uh, for these. You know, uh, others it's like you know, it was the variant that was cooler looking. You know, but yeah. uh, you know, so for us, we're not we're not really variant chasers. Um, you know, if I land a variant, I'm happy. That's cool. You know, uh, I'll set that aside and then go get the normal one. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, it's true. Uh, you know, I don't mind a variant cover by chance, mm-hmm. but I'm not a variant hunter. Yeah, and it's the same. I just, you know, first world problems here. Yep. But, yep. you know, some people love that stuff, and that's the other thing. I've, and this is on me, sometimes I go to the store, and a lot of the stores you go to, they're already bagged and bored. Mm-hmm. But you grab a, co- a comic with a, a cover. Okay, this is a new one. It's not a new one. It's the same one with a different cover on it. Yeah. And I bought it twice. Yep. Oh, I've done that so many times. Yeah, I know. And I, I, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed when I say it. But <laughs> yep. You know, it's um, the world's out to get me in comics. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, man. Yeah, no, I, I like I said, it's. I thought that was neat. Yeah. yeah Here's um, going down the list. This is um, it's a French comic, uh, Freddie Lombard, and it's by um, I can't say the guy's name, Ye- Yevs Shylin, I think is his name. Help me out here. 
Oh, you want me to help yeah, you out well, with the pronunciation? The, the you two, know better than that. The Come two worst now. guys to pronounce names we've only read. But um, yeah, you have Shalin. Okay, you have Shalin. He um, I've seen his work in heavy metal a lot, and I've seen the Freddie Lombard stories, and they made me happy. I was reading them in the eighties, but he has a nineteen forties or fifties kind of look to him. Yeah, and um, he was kind of like an edgy tin tin. <laughs> But he's got a friend, that's the guy with the two hairs in the front of his head, and that's Sweep, and then that really elegant lady, and uh, Dinah. And I just liked the stories. They were kind of fun, they were neat, they were serialized in heavy metal. And, oh yeah, definitely a little more edgy than... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, they were the three friends, and they were doing stuff. Um, Yev Shallon also colored the first Inkle segment um which always fascinated me that you know he worked with mobius come to find out he was hired to color it he started to color it and he was overwhelmed his wife was actually the one that did it he was he still got the credit for it you know his wife so i guess the money went in the same pool but he uh he was talking about it that he just he was hired to do it but he just couldn't it was just too much anyway Interesting human being. He's gone now. He was a young man, and I can't remember why he passed away. But he, um, I found that uh, with Dallas at Megacon. Yeah. And I thought, well, this is nice. I'd like the other one. And um, I finally found the second one. But anyway, neat stories. But this one thing the Volume Rook is going to look at, I want to talk about. It's a story called, I think, The Elephant Graveyard, if I'm remembering right. They go to Africa. It's basically a story of two collectors, and they're hired. Oof. What are you looking at? Uh, I just got to the character's design, and it's just, oof, oof. That's <laughs> are they in Africa? Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. What Rook is talking about, this can't be taken anything but racism. No, it can't. You can't look at this. It's, um... When people drew black people in the past, they didn't quite look human. No. It was a simple look. and um, No, I mean, these are monkey men. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, this is horribly racist uh, character design. But um, that was, if you ever watch, and I, I don't think these things should be censored and changed. I do think they should, you should see for what was happening in the past. But, um, and we've talked about some of the old comic strips like Terry and the Pirates, you know, how certain people portrayed, but black people, if you ever see, uh, Captain Marvel, you know, those old, um, Fawcett yeah. Captain Marvel stories, there was a character in that. They're usually servants and they were drawn that way. And some of those characters I found were really strong characters, but nevertheless, they were drawn that way and it was dehumanizing. But some of the European artists were still doing this kind of work, I guess, up to the 70s. I read it in the 80s, but, you know, maybe they were older stories. But the Elephant Graveyard, I really like that story. And they go to Africa, and one thing, even though they're drawn racistly, some of those drawings, actually the bodies, it looks like how some African tribes are. They're really lean and stuff, so there's a beauty to it, too. But... Yeah, there, there's notes in here that, you know, are adequate, and then other parts, it, it, like the, the facial structure is what yeah. really bugs the crap well, out of me looking at that. 
You know, but again, like you said, this is how these comics were done at their time. Yeah. You know, and should they be censored? Should they be redone? Absolutely not. You know, history is not there for you to like or dislike. And if you're offended by history, all the better because you won't repeat it. Right. You know, uh, that's that's one of the biggest things that I can say to people is if 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 history uh, offends you, <clears throat> great. Right. Because now I know that you won't repeat that. Well, now some of these artists, um, Daniel Torres is one of my very favorites. He did the Rocco Var- Vargas stories. They were running heavy metal, and they got a really nice collection to have. Mm-hmm. But they basically, I think it was people from Venus. They were green people, but basically they were drawn as how the black people are portrayed here. And I was surprised. I was reading these in 84. I'm like, what? Really? But it was kind of an Art Deco style. And it was it was like watching a 1930s or 40s movie, you know, how black people were portrayed, even though, you know, they were green. Yeah. Well, he finished all this stuff, and I guess he brought it back later. And um, I guess it was three, three or four graphic novels I bought, but he changed them. They started looking like people, you know, and st- they were still green. But really? He softened it. Of course, he, he changed the whole style. It wasn't that cartoony gra- um, Art Deco okay, style. Okay, so if he changes the whole style yeah. instead of just, just yeah. the one. Yeah. But, I mean, he's, he, he didn't modify the old stories. It's just, but he, I didn't like the stories as well. But I sometimes I wanted the hardest. But he was modifying everything. And in the first story, basically, when he brought it back, he was talking about looking back at the past. It was a different lifetime, which mm-hmm. it was. I'm sure it was yep. 20, 30 years later. Yeah. But, you know, it is one thing. When you read comics, you always kind of, I always talked about this. I grew up really tall. When you're, it's like Bambi and Ice. You don't have control of your body. You're all lanky and this and that. And all the characters were all medium-sized people. It handled their bodies well and stuff. All the, you know, and or smaller characters, Mickey Mouse, you know, Felix the Cat. They were mm-hmm. neat. Um, the tall people were always like goofy. Yeah, they were always, always gangly, you know, always, dorky. Yep. And um, the one that I really liked, it wasn't comics, with Chewbacca in Star Wars. You know, he was seven feet tall, and he was cool. Yeah. And so, I, I, it's, you kind of want somebody you can identify with. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, you're African-American, if you're black, and you see this kind of stuff, that's got to be hurtful. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely, it, it is. Especially when there's such a variation in the design of the white characters yeah. in a book like this. You know, between uh, all the different people that come across, and then you get to those pages, and it's just like, you know, I can't imagine being being black trying to read something like this and hitting those pages. I, I put I put it down immediately. Well, know? at the time in heavy metal, there were guys on my ship that read it, and they didn't say a thing but I think part of it was the time that they were used to that kind of stuff happening all the time even though that was probably were. that was blatant that was going away but I do think now they would be upset and put it down yeah. and when I say that I, that's an improvement yeah but I um nevertheless the story was neat I liked it I liked being in Africa that's that's my only complaint to it but I was really surprised reading this one Freddie Lombard is 
dickhead. <laughs> and um, and what he does to the other two characters, I thought, really? Yeah. I mean, that was this is adult stuff, and it's it's unforgivable. And they were kind of bitter, and then later they kind of rectify it towards the end. But I'm like. I was not expecting this to happen. Um, I mean, saying that, I'm really happy to have these two books. I'm, I'm glad they're out as the collection. Um, completely under the radar, I found... I, I like these kind of stories. I like French comics. Never saw this. Yeah. When I found the one, I thought, well, I never saw these. There's a second one, and it was kind of hard to find. But nevertheless, um, I guess that's something that fascinates me is portrayals of people in comics and... Sometimes they're not nice, but no, no, they're not. You know, and it's and it's a sad, it's it's sad that you know, especially with comics, because comics have always been a forward-thinking medium. Uh, you know, this is the place where social issues can be brought forward in ways that are both entertaining and thought-provoking. Mm. You know, um, you know, so to see to see something like this, you know. And we're talking about the 1980s when this was done. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of surprising. Uh, but on on a better note, we can we can also talk about how forward we've gone from that point. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, granted, there's still plenty to go. There's still plenty of space. There's plenty of movement to, to still happen. But you know, um, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm actually rather surprised because I would have thought looking at that book that we were looking at something from like, yeah, you know, earlier years, like 50s, 60s. So to see it from the 80s, uh, yeah. that is now, ra- rather disheartening. For I have a feeling these stories were done in the 70s, though, well, late 70s. Um, saying that, you wouldn't have seen that here in the United States anymore. And mm-hmm. when I'm saying this, we had plenty of really unfigurable stuff way oh, before gosh. that. But um, yes. and I'm sure more than anybody else. And some of that stuff, like you ever see that character Chop Chop and um Blackhawk? It's you can't even look at it. It's just grotesque. Oh Chinese... yes, we've talked about that. Ugh. But um some of that stuff, these even though they're they're not nice betrayals, they're still fine characters, you yeah. know. They're not grotesque or anything, but Back in 88, I had a Time magazine, and it was, I guess it was a Sanrio store. They didn't, they never mention Sanrio, but they had um, dolls of African natives with that kind of face, yeah. but they were like the Hello Kitty style, <laughs> and they were talking about what an embarrassment it was. They had a display of all these, and I, when I saw it, those are really cute. I mean, saying that, it's an ugly stereotype, and it's one that we know. Yeah. But I said... That's it is kind of cute when it's the same real thing, but I guess Japan finally stopped using them. I don't think that that was a hate or racism. I think they just it was an accepted icon, you know, that they saw at that time. Yeah, yeah. it would have been more. It would have been an accepted right design. Um. But anyway, a lot of that stuff was going away. But I think maybe some places they just you know um, didn't really give it a lot of thought, yeah. even though it was sensitive here. As it should be, but yeah. yeah, nevertheless, I was surprised. It kind of spoiled the book that I'm still happy I have, but yeah, and that <laughs> again, it was my favorite story is about two collectors that were trying to outdo each other, and it has a funny ending. And uh, it was a two part story, too. But I read that, and at the same time, I went to Kenya on my ship, 
when I was reading this, and I thought, God, this is this is hilarious anyway. But it is kind of a it's kind of a turd in a punch bowl. Yeah. It's a good thing and a bad thing all at once. Yeah. So, yeah. what else do you got in this pile? Because uh, we're talking about my so, pile. <clears throat> we were talking earlier about uh, some of the recommendations I made to uh, Chris with the Marvel app. Another one of the ones I had was the X series from Marvel. Earth X, Universe X, you Paradise about, yeah. X. Yeah, I've talked about these in the past, and I'm I'm actually picking them up um, uh, again to reread them. You know, this was uh, this was an involvement of a lot of different people. Um, Alex Ross being the uh, concept character designs, um, Jim Kruger writing the script and story. Um, you know, th- this this stuff was like an alternative. Um, a post-apocalyptic Marvel verse, um, very much like what he did with the DC universe with uh, the Justice series. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's absolutely fantastic work. Um, really takes to the extreme some of the uh, various characters in the Marvel universe, uh, showing them twisted into the future, and you know the 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 dark possible outcomes. Uh, you know. Uh, again, like I said, Justice as well. Um, done again. Was it, I don't know if Justice was the same creative team. Let me check here. Yeah, it was. It was Ross and Kruger again doing Justice uh, as well. <laughs> um, you know, and these storylines, both Justice and the X series, Earth X, Paradise X, uh, you know, done in this absolutely gorgeous style. You know, uh, but really shows some of the dark possibilities instead of the more um, playfulness of the series of these characters early on, and the what I would call like a semi darkness that they use um, today. You know, people talk about how dark comic books have gotten these days, yeah. and you know. Uh, there's worse. There's much worse that can happen. Oh, you, know? Yeah. Um, you know, these classic characters can fall apart, and I think uh, Ross and and Kruger do an amazing job in these two series, Justice and uh, Earth X <laughs> Paradise X, to to show these um, absolutely fantastic reads as well. Um, you know, I've got. Uh, somewhere around here, I've got the rest of like Earth X and Paradise X, uh, but I just can't can't seem to locate them at the moment. <laughs> you know, uh, been doing a lot of uh, moving around of books at the moment. Yeah, so, uh, as you always do. I always do. You know, I'm still uh, still trying to work out when I'm going to do my next purge. Uh, <laughs> I, I am up for a purge in here to. Uh, Start pulling some books from the collection, make space, make, uh, you know, start handing some comics to some younger folk, uh, you know, that are around in my life so that they can uh, enjoy them as much as I did. That's, you know, looking at this is really neat. I've never seen these. I remember you talked about it. But this is kind of what we were talking about in the beginning about piecemeal with Marvel Comics. This starts out talking about the blue area of the moon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the blue area moon, and this is again what I love about comics, especially the Marvel ones. Was the first time I ever saw it was on 
Fantastic Four. And Hanna-Barbera did a, a really wonderful, I thought, Fantastic Four cartoon in 1967. Mm-hmm. And um, they went to the Blue Area of the Moon. They didn't call it that on the show. But in the comic they did, and all I kept thinking as a kid, well, what is the Blue Area of the Moon? Because it seemed ancient. It was basically abandoned. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, what is this? Because when I was growing up, the moon was supposed to be made out of cheese. And we started sending people into space. They had a, a newscast, and I thought it was for real. I was the commentators. And so what they wanted to find out is the moon's made out of bleach, green cheese or blue cheese. And this is like David Brinkley that said that. And the other guy kind of, you know, nodded. And I looked at my mom and said, for real? And mom said, oh, they're just playing. <laughs> and then I went to school that Monday and the smartest kid in the class, you know, we were all talking, the teachers up and, you know, discussing this and that. And the smartest kid in the class, he said, well, they said on the news, they're trying to figure out, they're once in a fall, if the moon is green cheese or blue cheese. And everybody laughed. But um, there was something, you know, we hadn't been to the moon yet, but it was something mysterious. It still is. But anyway, my brother bought an Avengers comic, and it wasn't a creative team I think Steve Englehart wrote it, but it wasn't the artist that I liked, and um, I was kind of poo-pooing on it. Anyway, it was sitting in the bedroom, and I was bored, so I picked it up and read it, and basically, it talked about how the scrolls took the Kree, and um, I the Kree and the skulls, whenever I read it, were always worn with each other, but you found out... Uh, the Skrulls was an advanced space-age technological race, yeah. and the Krees were basically thuggish primitives. And they took them to the moon, and they got these tree people that were lethargic and brought them. And the Kree built the city, you know, a whole place. Yeah. And the tree people basically went to the ground hibernated. And then um, the Skrulls came back, and they were really happy with what the tree people did because they turned it to the blue area of the moon. It was, you know, lush and all that. And they weren't that impressed with the Cree. And they left. The Cree was really bitter about it, and they basically destroyed all the tree people. Tree, the Cree, uh, Skrulls came back, was mad, and the Cree just did the same thing on them. Pulled a Rambo on them. Yep. But, um... It was one of the greatest single issues I ever read. Now, saying that, it wasn't a comic that I wanted. I really loved the experience, and that was that starts out in there, the whole thing. I yeah. liked how different artists and writers would fill in the holes of stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Uh, Jack Kirby said, I don't know if it was Denny O'Neill, somebody asked Jack Kirby in the 60s about a question on one of the, I don't know, Captain America story or something. And Jack Kirby said, well, that's a story for you to tell. It was open-ended. It yeah. was open source. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I love that kind of stuff, and that's why we're making recommendations. Sometimes it's just finding a, a diamond in the rough, yeah. you know? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, there's plenty <clears throat> of storylines out there that they seem so, like, unimportant in the grand scheme of the Marvel Universe. Mm. Um, But when you look at something like uh, Civil War, Mm. Civil War got started really from the New Warriors. 
the new warriors are what screwed what screwed up and caused the deaths. Yeah, that was um, in the series. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you go back and you start reading some of the some of the stuff with new warriors, uh, the folding circle storyline, uh, which a lot of people don't know the folding circle storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when uh, Night Thrasher's brother shows up, and he's got his own kind of like version of the New Warriors, and they're you know uh, they're very brutal, very very aggressive. You know, you see a tonal shift in the way that the New Warriors behave in in that series, and that to me is the start of what progresses into the behavior that they displayed in the beginning of the Civil War storyline. Why the new warriors were so you know aggressive and not you know uh, they focused on taking out the enemy instead of clearing the civilians, clearing possible casualties uh, before anything bad could happen. They were so hyper focused all the time on the enemy that there were the collateral damage and, and casualties were a thing. So. I I hearken back to the folding the folding circle storyline with the New Warriors. That to me altered the tone of that book, and that is what brought us to Civil War many 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 years later. Yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> being a New Warriors fan, I read a I've read a lot of those books over the years. Uh, you know, so it, it, where some people were like, oh well, you know, superheroes wouldn't have done that. No, no, the New Warriors would have done that. They were yeah. kind of a bunch of screw ups, you know. That's again what you're just talking about. It's what made comic book special, mm-hmm. you know. And in the Avengers, different artists. Usually, it was George Perez in the late '70s doing it, which I loved. But there was a couple of times where um, John Byrne did three issues, mm-hmm. and um. One of my favorites, as one people remember, was it was a second three issue series, three issue series John Byrne did. It starts out George Perez drew it. At the very end of the story, there's an old man with a long white beard showing up at the docks, mm-hmm. and he opens up a locket and it has the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in it. Yeah. And the next three issues, John Byrne drew. I think I thought Roger Stern wrote them, but maybe he didn't. But, um, Roger, um, anyway, basically he was talking about Avengers, the giant size Avengers 1. You found out that the Wizard and Miss America from Marvel, Marvel's Golden Age was the parents of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Right. Well, in this one, basically showed that it was this old gypsy. <laughs> and, um, they told a story about, um, they go to the High Evolutionary, and it's a woman um, named Magda that shows up. And she says her her husband just learned he has these, he just assumed these massive powers, and she was afraid. Right. And I'm thinking, well, who's her husband? I was fascinated by that. Yeah. I didn't know. But anyway, they, um, they hit her, and she had the kids. And uh, it basically told Nuclo, which was in giant size Avengers. And um, but you found out Scarlet Witch ended up turning into basically Dark Phoenix in this story. It was incredible. Well, later on, it was in um, X Men when 
Byrne and Claremont and Austin were doing it. Magneto was recovering in this satellite, you know, from fighting the X-Men earlier. Right. And he's looking at something. There's a monitor behind him. And he looks, and it's it's Magda on the screen. And he goes, Magna, my wife. And yeah. He says, I, I thought I had erased all the files. And he says, um... He said that he was happy. He loved her dearly. He says, of course, and he was, he's hit a race, and she's slowly in a sequence of the race, and he goes, well, but that's when I thought I was only human. Well, you know, I'm, yeah. I just realized. Yeah, the, the light bulb goes off, and it's like, wait a minute, that means Magneto's... Uh, uh. Which is obvious if you look at Magneto and you look at um, Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it's, you know, they drew Magda to look like Scarlet Witch. Yep. But I'm thinking, my, I didn't see that. Well, that was just two random issues, you know, for over years. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of the magic of comic books when you read them. Um, some of them everybody knew, some of them you didn't. And, yeah. of course, if you didn't, your friends would know. Well, and, you know, that's a perfect example of retconning a character creation or character origin mm. that worked really, really well. You know. I think they've changed it again. I'm I'm not sure, but I think somebody said they've changed it since. Uh, they may have. I know they <laughs> they definitely went with a very different uh, concept and idea in the Marvel Cinematic. I don't know what they've done recently with the characters in the comics because I mean, uh, Quicksilver and Wanda have been Magneto's kids for so long. Yeah. I don't think I'd find a, a retconning of that concept acceptable anymore. Yeah. You know, I really don't. I think that's that's kind of canon at this point. I know? get it. So. Well, but that's the thing, is random comics here and there that you just kind of find, you mm-hmm. know, but, I mean, I stand with all the recommendations I made, and, um, but at the same time, just find the, the storylines you like and kind yep. of work your way through, and I, I guess that could be daunting because there's a lot of Marvel comics that I've never even looked at. I've never touched. Oh, yeah. And, um, and, how could you have? Yeah, you know? I've always said this. <laughs> There's so many. I was reading in the early 70s. It was in Parade Magazine in the newspaper. The guy they were talking and doing the interview with, he, he told all about the Wortham hearings and all this stuff, you know, in the comics code. But he was also saying that they wrote an article that he bought every comic that was on the stand every month and read them all cover to cover. Damn. And people... We're always going on, but talking like that's, you know, paradise. There's never once in my life I've ever wanted every comic that ever yeah, came out. I mean... That's a lot. It is a lot. It tedious after a while. But, you know, how many times did you, you know, buy your comics you want off the spin rack and then ride your bike over there to get more and they didn't have anything and you're just picking and picking and picking and yeah. finally, well, I guess I'll take this one. And I, all my life, I remember going, when comic stores came out, you go and if the new comics came out, you'd find tons of stuff you wanted, but third or fourth time you go in the month, it's like, oh, there's nothing, well, maybe I'll get this, you know. And, yeah. You know, it's, I can't, why would you want everything, you know, I'm, not everything is to your taste. Hey, we talk about the show, everybody on the show we all have some universal comics we all like, but most of us, we have far different tastes. You Absolutely. Know? But I think that's that's one of the beauties of, of comics, because comics, comics is not a genre, it's a medium. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, comics can be anything. Sci-fi, horror, superhero, yeah. 
Um, you know, it, it really can be absolutely anything we want it to be, and that's one of the beauties of this uh, of this community. Absolutely, and well said. So, um, so Chris, forget all of our recommendations and listen to what your dad said, <laughs> and just enjoy the app. There you go. There you go. All right. All right. Um, if you like to draw or create any kind of images, we're always looking for fake comic book covers on the Facebook page and the Facebook group to announce a new episode. Um, we can't pay you for it because we have no money, but if you'll allow us to, we'll add it to the cover guy of the blog. A lot of people really enjoy these, and I can format it to any to fit the, the cover dimensions. Just leaves the space at the top for the title. Uh, if you're any kind of singer, musician, songwriter, performance artist, just like... Um, the band we played today, we always have a music break and we don't have a guest. Uh, again, a lot of people enjoy these, and if you allow us to play, we'll also add you to the music spotlight page on the blog. We also have t-shirts on the sidebar of the blog. It's just to help us raise hosting fees that come up every year. Um, three different designs. Listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Everybody, check us out, bunchofdorks.com. Click on that, Cyclops. You'll be able to see examples of everything we talked about on this episode and previous episodes as well. But until next time, everybody, read more comics!